This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York. It is May 1st. The month of April 2020 has ended. Furthermore, another week in wrestling business news has passed. A quick WrestleNomics note, as some people listening might know, I did a pro wrestling industry report for 2019 that came out at the end of January. And I've been making that available on PayHip. You can find the link at WrestleNomics.com. That version, of course, is in English. But now, the WrestleNomics Pro Wrestling Industry Report 2019 is also available in Japanese, translated by Kuniyaki Takahashi of Omosuki Fight Blog. You can check that out. You can buy that now for 660 yen by going to WrestleNomics.Stores.jp. The link is also on my Twitter account and on the WrestleNomics Twitter account. But what a thrill to see the whole thing, all the graphs, all the all the articles translated into Japanese. You know, as somebody who grew up as a big Japanese wrestling fan in my teen years, this is very cool to see. Again, if you go to WrestleNomics.Stores.JP, that's where it is. And you can, of course, still get the English version at WrestleNomics.com. Just click on the 2019 report at the top of the uh, menu there. But anyway, our weekly coverage of the effects of COVID-19 on the pro wrestling industry continues. We'll go over today some thoughts I've been having about the decline in TV viewership for all of the major wrestling programs and what kind of long-term effect that's going to have for each of those shows and their associated businesses. But first, <laughs> a few news items. On Wednesday, April 29th, WWE executives Kevin Dunn and Brad Blum sold some of their WWE shares. The stock price now hovering in the mid-40s in the last few days, following the report of a more profitable than expected Q1 for the company. Kevin Dunn, executive producer and chief of global television, selling 33,000 W shares at a price of $45.46. That sale coming out to almost exactly $1.5 million, $1,500,180, cashed out by Kevin Dunn. Brad Blum, whose title is Executive Vice President of Operations and Chief of Staff. He sold more than 16,000 W shares at a price of $45.32 at a value of $741,000, $741,345 cashed out by Brad Blum. In other news, a blog called MediaRadar.com in a blog post where they went over how COVID-19 is impacting the TV industry. They noted that ad spending is down in the week of March 23rd by 93% for sports programming compared to the same week of the year prior. Of course, that's due to almost no sports programming being out there. March Madness has been canceled. However, the NFL draft did happen. And they write, one sport that remained unaffected over this time period was wrestling. Wrestling content continues to consistently take in about $3 million in ad revenue per week. And the blog goes on to note that WWE has been pre-taping in Orlando and they've been deemed an essential business. So $3 million is an interesting number. It doesn't get, get down into whether that's Raw and SmackDown each or whether that's Raw and SmackDown and NXT combined. It doesn't say, uh, I think this is, it seems to be just referring to, to WWE. 
I suppose it could be referring to AEW as well. I don't even know where they're getting this information from. Maybe they have some sort of Nielsen subscription or some sort of other information source. So $3 million weekly in advertising. That would be, I believe, going to the networks. Last I knew in 2018, this is a time when SmackDown was still on the USA Network. WTV programming was bringing in about $2 million for Raw and about $1.2 million for SmackDown for a total of about $3.2 million on a weekly basis. I suppose you could round that down to $3 million. And that doesn't count NXT, though. But maybe NXT isn't delivering the same amount of ad revenue, which would make sense because it has, what, less than a third of the viewership of Raw or SmackDown. One would think SmackDown being on Fox instead of the USA Network would give it a boost as well in terms of ad sales. So anyway, the conclusion is I think this uh, this blog sounds in the same ballpark of what, what I believe to be true. About $3 million weekly for WWE TV ad revenue. Of course, that's different from the ad revenue that WWE generates directly for itself in terms of selling on-screen, on-air sponsorships like Rocket League or WrestleMania brought to you by Snickers or whatever. The JVC Boombox Kaboom of the Week. Can you still get one of those? Do they have that in Bluetooth now? God, I feel old. In other news, the return of recurring character in WrestleNomics Radio, Governor Ron DeSantis. Yes, he's back. Uh, he had some comments on WWE specifically on Wednesday. Of course, these governors are, are going out and making uh, public statements on many days, including the governor of Florida. And today, Friday, there seems to be some some interpretation or some confusion about what exactly is going to happen here with sports events in Florida. We've got some wrestling websites that have grabbed part of a report, part of an executive order that seems to be suggesting that Florida is ready to do maybe starting May 4th sporting events as long as the, the venues only have 25% of their capacity filled. And I'm sure that's delivering the clicks. But if truth is more your thing, the executive order from the governor, which you can find on uh, flgov.com, there is no mention of sporting events. There's no mention of sports, of WWE, of wrestling. So there's no mention of sports venues allowing events to run if they're at only 25% capacity. There is, though, a Reopen Florida Task Force report, which is also on flgov.com, which is a report to the governor. There is a bulleted paragraph there that says large sporting events and theme parks, large spectator sporting events should use strict social distancing guidelines and limit occupancy of venues to 25% of building capacity. Theme parks should remain closed. So that is from the task force. Now, the name of this document is Plan for Florida's Recovery. So maybe this is something that will be applied in the future. It doesn't appear to be getting applied right now. In the frequently asked questions, the FAQ for the new executive order from the governor on page three. It shows the question, can I go to a professional sporting event? The answer, no. Sporting events may operate, but without spectators. This document is dated April 29th, 2020. And it's referring to the executive order signed by Ron DeSantis, uh, effective at uh, 12.01 a.m., May 4th, 2020. So I would not expect weird, socially distanced wrestling events with venues at 25% capacity with fans standing at least six feet apart from each other at least not yet, and not starting on May 4th. But on Wednesday, speaking to the press, Governor DeSantis said that, well, maybe, maybe by June or July, we can have fans in attendance. The more 
or maybe you do some limited seating in bars but not let have people kind of freelance together you would do some social distancing in some of the larger venues i would like to get to a point i'm not saying we're going to get it in may but i've helped recruit i wanted the, the wrestling to be filmed in orlando uh, i'd like them to do wrestlemania they were going to do wrestlemania in april that was hundreds of millions of dollars I want to keep that good relationship. I want them to invest in Florida. We got UFC to come to Jacksonville. Again, there's not going to be any fans, but I think those are going to be a good event for people. Uh, I work with Phil Mickelson on making sure they have what they need for, for that Tiger Woods match. So there's going to be a lot of good stuff going on, but I don't think we're probably ready to have fans. But I do think if the trends are good, I think as you get into uh, June, July, I think there is a window to have, to have some fans. You're not going to have everyone packed in. But man, in 90 degree weather in the state of Florida, if you're out there and someone's 10 feet away from you and you want to watch, uh, watch a ball game or something, you may be able to do that. So this is something that we're just going to have to do. We're going to be driven by the facts, driven by the data. But I think that Major League Baseball coming back, I, I'm hearing this, I think that that's going to be exciting for a lot of people. And I just think that there's going to be a lot of possibilities. So let's just be resourceful and creative. And then from there, so I will try to deal with this topic. So, uh, some people have asked me about it. I guess Dutch Mantel was out there on Twitter floating the rumor that maybe WWE, he's hearing that WWE is looking to sell the network to maybe Fox, maybe Disney, I don't know, ESPN. And a few people are, people are going to me to ask me, have I heard that? As if I would know. Um, I don't know. I would be skeptical uh, of any suggestion that Vince McMahon is ever going to sell WWE, control of WWE in his lifetime. And I know there are people out there, including people who have worked with Vince, who think otherwise. Someone even theorized to me that, well, maybe W is prepping for a sale based on some of their actions lately, where they're cutting costs, they're cutting talent, they're furlough, furloughing and laying off employees, despite the fact that they're increasingly profitable, thanks to the greatly decreased cost of producing TV out of the performance center in a studio setting, while their TV rights fees remain unchanged. So maybe they're just, they're trying to get as lean as possible here, ahead of a possible sale, Again, this is merely speculation and theory. And the notion is that, well, Vince may feel some urgency to sell it because, and again, this is not what Dutch Mantel is saying as far as I know, but this is, is, uh, this is what's been suggested to me, that maybe Vince feels some urgency to, to get a sale done because, you know, there's a presidential election coming up and maybe it'll be a Democratic president and a Democratic-appointed FTC that after January 2021 may not approve of a major company sale. And I would say some things do seem to be pointing in that direction. On the whole, I would remain skeptical that these rumors about WWE possibly selling the entire company off to anyone carry much weight. But you could also suggest, too, that, hey, look, the US TV deal was done a few years ago. We're pre pretty far away from the next round of negotiations in probably 2023. The India deal is done. The UK deal is done. What else is left out there to be a major source of growth? You know, the, the network has, has hit its plateau. They're probably going to sell pay-per-view rights off of the network, and that, that's a source of growth if they get the right deal. I guess there's a Middle East-North Africa TV deal still to be done whenever the bureaucracy of the Saudi government gets around to finishing it with them. Monetizing the massive populations of, of India and China don't seem to be a thing that's talked about much anymore. Not even in, in, the, in the latter days of George Berrios as co-president of the company was that much talked about. But I don't know. I wouldn't... Uh, Jump to conclusions too quickly just yet. And, and by the way, maybe maybe this, the W stock sales that we just talked about by Brad Blum and Kevin Dunn, does that have anything to do with, with this larger 
story or conspiracy for WWE to sell the company? Is it? Does it mean that it's a changing of the guard? Is that why Brad Blunt, Vince, Vince McMahon's chief of staff, is that why he and his longtime associate Kevin Dunn have sold stock? And Vince McMahon has sold a lot of stock to fund the XFL, and he's in a, some sort of weird deal with Morgan Stanley to uh, to gradually transfer 3.5 million of, of his own shares to to Morgan Stanley. Does that have something to do with this this changing of the guard? Perhaps I wouldn't read much into it. I wouldn't read too much into the, into the stock sales of of any of Vince McMahon, Brad Blum, or Kevin Dunn. Uh, Kevin Dunn, in fact, yeah, as we just mentioned, he sold 33,000 W shares. To put that in some context. Last year in 2019, Kevin Dunn sold 14,000 shares. The year before that, he sold 144,000 shares. The year before that, 2017, he sold 173,000 shares. The year before that, 76,000 shares. The year before that, 2015, 80,000 shares. The year before that, 2014, 30,000 shares. And we could go back even further in time. The years between, years between 2006 and 2010. Uh, each of those years, he sold uh, 139,000 shares, 38,000 shares, 24,000 shares, 52,000 shares, 40,000 shares. Kevin Dunn has sold a lot of shares uh, over his time as a W executive. And wrestling news sites love to make a big deal out of it because people know who Kevin Dunn is. Uh, fans online do anyway. And he's kind of one of the villains of the, of the, uh, the WWE story. And people like to get riled up when they hear that he's he's cashed out millions of dollars worth of W shares. But I wouldn't read much into this as far as the future of W as a company. And I don't have much history about Brad Blum because I think he has just become elevated to corporate officer status. So this is one of the first, if not the first, records of sale of W shares that we have for him. In a quick legal update... There is now a third case filed against WWE in this class action lawsuit alleging that WWE withheld information from investors about its relationship with the Saudi government. Meanwhile, the stock price declined and executives like George Barrows and Michelle Wilson made stock sales. Uh, The language in this suit is very similar to the previous two. This one, unlike the other two which are filed in the New York Southern District Court, this one is filed in the Connecticut District Court. And again, I don't have any sense that these lawsuits will be successful or not, but it will be interesting to see if WWE to defend itself uh, brings anything into discovery that will be interesting for people like us to, to, to look at and learn from. And in the world of YouTube, WWE had its biggest month ever in the recently finished month of April 2020. WWE had 1.3, almost 1.4 billion video views. That is the highest month for video views that W has ever had. That breaks the record of August 2018 with 1.2 billion. March was high as well for WB. Uh, March 2020 had just over 1 billion. April 2020, 1.37 billion. To compare, AW in April 2020 did 23 million. Ring of Honor in April 2020, 5 million. That appears to be a record for Ring of Honor as well. New Japan on its English channel, one and a half million. And its Japanese channel did 5.5 million. So you can see that's a a total of 7 million video views for New Japan when you combine the English and Japanese language channels. So again, roughly 7 million for New Japan, 5 million for Ring of Honor, 23 million for AEW. Again, that's a million with an M. WWE doing nearly 1.4 billion. All this information you're going to find... Free for everyone. Every, anyone can access this stuff. It's socialblade.com. 
And finally, that brings us to the main subject for the week. Television viewership, empty arena wrestling, which it looks like is still going to go on. It doesn't look like there's going to be fans in Florida even for the time being, based on what we just heard from Governor DeSantis, who was not wearing his tragic comic mask at his press conference. But when it comes to wrestling TV viewership, what I fear is a WCW Nitro-like effect that may be coming. What do I mean by that? I'll explain. But let's point out first that counterintuitively, when it comes to the finances of WWE and probably AEW, these wrestling companies are, are saving money and are more profitable, at least per wrestling show. I think that's pretty obvious. Per TV wrestling show that they produce, it's far cheaper because they're doing it in a, in a cheaper studio environment rather than at an arena. The inability to do normal live events actually reduces costs. But the payments that come from TV broadcasters remain, as far as we can tell, unchanged. Now, there was a report on sportsbusiness.com that I saw today that says Comcast is looking at getting relief on sports rights fees to pass on to consumers. But it seems as if that will apply to sports leagues that aren't running games and aren't running events. It seems less likely that that will apply to WWE and AEW that are still producing their content. But in WWE's case, and they just had their, their Q1 report, which we talked about last time, WWE was unable to run normal live events for the last 19 days of the quarter in March because of COVID-19. And at least coincidentally, WWE was more profitable in Q1 than the company's pre-COVID-19 restriction guidance have predicted. Even the consensus of financial analysts who cover WWE stock, who had the benefit of assessing the situation related to the coronavirus, and they researched WWE's business, even the consensus analyst estimate underestimated WWE's reporting of revenue and profit. Analysts predicted $265 million in revenue, WWE reported $291. Analysts Analysts predicted an EPS of $0.25, cents implying a net income of $22 million. WWE reported $26 million. Before WWE started canceling events, it predicted an adjusted OEBA of $60 to $65 million. They reported $77 million in adjusted OEBA. And it looks like even if WWE can't run any more live events for the rest of the year, and you're wiping off WrestleMania off the calendar, which has already happened, you're taking away all the money related to maybe a second Saudi Arabia event for this year, it's still not clear to me that WWE is any less profitable in 2020 on the whole than it would have been if this was a pandemic for a year. So financially, this is a good thing for WWE, at least in the short term, or possibly AEW as well, at least in the short term. But I think there's a long-term risk here too. These audience-free TV shows are highly cost-effective, but they're not very exciting for viewers. And the viewership that's been reported in the last few weeks bears that out. Viewership for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite are all declining in April. Ensure TV overall is declining year over year, but the decline in April 2020 is quite a bit greater than it was in April 2019. I've got conflicting reports about what TV overall is doing. Obviously, the U.S. population is being told to stay at home. So, consequently, they're closer to their TV sets. The blog post that I referenced earlier from Media Radar reports that broadcast and cable TV viewing is up during the pandemic. However, Variety points out that that's largely because of news programming. If you factor out the news programming, cable TV viewing is actually down 5%. That's comparing the first two weeks of April to the first two weeks of March. So a negative 5% growth 
for cable TV overall. The growth trends over a similar period, though, for wrestling programming is even lower than a negative 5%. Comparing the first two weeks of March to the first two weeks of April, total audience for Raw is down 9%, SmackDown down 7%, NXT down 9%, AW Dynamite down 18%. If you compare the first two weeks of March to the last two weeks of April, total audience for Raw and SmackDown are both down 17%, NXT only down 6%, and Dynamite down 16%. And again, if you want a TV overall metric to balance that against basic cable from the first two weeks of March compared to the first two weeks of April, when you factor out cable news, down 5%. So in that view, it looks like NXT is holding up the best of all. The others, though, are down up to three times as much as TV overall factoring out news. If you leave news in for cable, everything is down 3%. If you include broadcast networks along with cable, everything is down one and a half percent. So anyway, I think it's fair to say, at least in the case of Raw, SmackDown, and AEW, TV viewership is declining significantly worse than TV overall. I can only guess that's because everything's happening in an empty building with no fans, which for the first few weeks was a novelty and a curiosity, and that appears to be gradually wearing on people. Now, Grant, we've only got about six data points for each program to look at here so far, but more often than not, the viewership on a given week for these programs is lower than it was the week before. So, you consider the habitual nature of wrestling viewership, if it's still true that wrestling viewers are creatures of habit, and you consider, at least in WWE's case, the lack of strategy that they've shown they're able to use to win back fans or create new fans, at least for more than a week or two. I'm skeptical that if these trends hold, that the audience will return to anything like pre-COVID-19 levels, whenever wrestling events can actually happen again in front of live audiences. And if viewership is down overall and doesn't return, I think that there's considerable downstream effects that may be long-lasting or permanent because of the coronavirus that wouldn't have happened in a coronavirus-free scenario. And I can't remember if it was Matthew Ball or Scott Galloway, may have been some combination thereof, who have been arguing that the COVID-19 pandemic is accelerating trajectories and media trends, maybe even in trends in personal relationships, developments that under normal conditions may have taken a year to transpire, happen now in only a few months. Consider that Netflix greatly exceeded its expected subscribers in Q1. Disney Plus subscribers have already reached 50 million. Ball has argued that we're seeing an accelerated decline in pay TV subscribers. And maybe if you were doomed to get a divorce from your spouse within, you know, two or three years, all these additional hours you're being forced to spend in the home with this person accelerates that divorce to happen within maybe just one year. And I think this idea can be transferred onto wrestling viewership trends that we're seeing lately. If on an alternate timeline where there's no pandemic, WWE Raw viewership, which before the crisis was between two and two and a half million viewers, maybe on a course to hit one and a half million viewers, maybe say by the middle of 2021. Empty arena wrestling driving viewers away, from which I think there's going to be no strong bounce back from, which I'll get into in a moment. That acceleration in the decline of TV viewership for wrestling programming may force say Raw, which again may have hit one and a half million viewers by the middle of 2021. Well, maybe now they hit one and a half million viewers by the beginning of 2021. 
if empty building wrestling goes on for the rest of the year, maybe it hits that benchmark even sooner. Now, obviously, the strategy of a wrestling promotion in order to cultivate long-term growth and the stability of its audience and its other businesses, their TV shows serve not just as a means to collect lucrative TV rights fees, but they serve as an economic battery that is to drive audiences to keep watching the show and to buy tickets to live events, buy pay-per-views, buy subscription video services. And those businesses are hindered almost certainly if people are disengaging with the TV show. But why am I so skeptical that there will be any sort of strong bounce back once things get back to normal? So less is known about AEW because it's a privately held company and it's only been around for barely a year anyway. But in the case of WWE, we know quite a bit about their business and the trends of their consumer metrics. Again, obviously financially, they're doing great because of guaranteed money from TV contracts and the Saudi deal. But between the years of 2015 and 2019, every single one of the metrics I'm about to go through have gone into an annual decline, which they have yet to return from. Total viewership of Raw against the top 100 networks. The key demo, 18 to 49, of Raw against the top 50 networks. SmackDown is the exception there because it's bounced around into better time slots, benefited from going live, has benefited from being put on better networks. But W Network average paid subscribers down in 2019 versus the year prior. W main roster total paid attendance worldwide down in 2018 and 2019. WB merchandise revenue, down since 2017. WB product licensing revenue, down since 2017. WB YouTube videos, down since 2018. It looks like that trend will be broken in 2020. For whatever it's worth, even Google web searches related to WB, down since 2016. And certainly there are some external factors at play there with an increasing number of entertainment options that are out there for people to do. But I think easily the biggest reason why all those metrics are in annual decline, although again, YouTube views will probably come back in 2020, is related to the quality of the product. And more specifically, a lack of new stars who mean something economically. And it doesn't seem that any stars will emerge as long as the creative direction and vision is controlled by CEO Vince McMahon. And there's no reason to think that he won't be in control of creative for as long as he's physically able. Now, I think there will be fleeting resurgences in some consumer metrics soon after there's a return to normal life and normal live events. As far as live events themselves, the ticketing business, I think generally there will be some hesitation at first. The first events actually may just be postponed events that were originally supposed to happen earlier in the year for which tickets are already purchased for. And some people just haven't chosen to get their refund and may still attend the event whenever it can actually go on. But I think there will be some hesitation from people to go to events again. After a few months, though, I think that will wear off and things will largely go back to normal, especially if we're living in a world that has a vaccine or herd immunity or something like that. With TV viewership, I imagine WWE will have hyped returns to arenas. I imagine they'll bring back certain stars and that viewership will significantly increase for one or two weeks. And after that, it will return to its normal baseline level, just as it has in the case of special episodes like Raw 25 and Raw Reunion and SmackDown 1000. But I don't think there'll be any sort of sustained comeback to where the viewership returns to the level that it would have been at if the coronavirus hadn't interrupted life. And I'm reminded in this case of a lesson from history from 2001 when WCW Nitro and Thunder went off the air and ran their final episodes in March of that year. WWF had just bought WCW 
And some people expected at the time that Raw and SmackDown, which are going head-to-head with Nitro and Thunder on the same nights, in the same time slots, WF was greatly beating WCW at that point, but Nitro and Thunder still had decent audiences. Nitro and Thunder, in the last few months of their lifetimes, were doing about a 2.0 rating. While around the same time, SmackDown's doing about a 4.0, Raw doing about a 5.0. So you'd figure when you take the wrestling shows, Thunder and Nitro off the table, that the stronger programs that were going head-to-head with them, Raw and SmackDown, would absorb at least some of that WCW audience. But they didn't. WF's TV viewership following the end of WCW actually declined slightly for the rest of the year of 2001. Whatever captive audience WCW held apparently stopped watching wrestling altogether. There's no sign they ever came back. So maybe wrestling fans are creatures of habit. Compared to 2001, there's greater demand for consumers' attention today. There's certainly no cord-cutting phenomenon to point to that happened in 2001. I think viewers today who are tuning out of Raw, SmackDown, AW Dynamite, maybe NXT, may be finding new habits right now. And they may be hard-pressed to return to those programs unless new, economically significant stars emerge. And I'm not sure what the better alternative would be. Airing old matches instead of even recent pay-per-view matches, those may or may not satisfy TV contracts, but I think that strategy would do an even weaker job of maintaining viewership. In the short term, expenses are down and profitability is actually probably up. And wrestling companies may be wise to think about how they can reinvest this unexpected cash flow to fortify their business and recapture audiences when normal live events can be held again. In the meantime, Raw and SmackDown continue to be highly ranked among other TV shows on their same night. AEW's ranking on Wednesday has fallen somewhat, but continues to stay in the top 50. NXT is falling out of the top 50 most weeks recently, being pushed out by a lot of cable news programming. But networks are still happy to have some form of sports-like content some form of somewhat DVR-proof content at a time when there's little of it. Whether wrestling companies can continue to attract audiences that networks will pay large TV rights fees for three or four years from now when new deals need to be renegotiated is too far over the horizon yet to see. You know, a friend of the show, Justin, uh, turned me on to read this long blog by Matthew Ball about digital theme parks. And uh, we won't get too much into it, but... uh. There's a lot there that's relevant for pro wrestling, but I was struck by at least one sentence where uh, he's talking about the advantage that Disney has. Well, full disclosure, I did buy a few Disney shares recently, but the advantage that Disney has uh, because it has theme parks over its competitors and Ball writes, fans simply cannot enjoy DC or Lord of the Rings or Dragon Ball the way they do Disney's princesses, Pixar, most recently Star Wars, and soon the Avengers franchises. This fundamentally limits a franchise's ability to grow love, the lifeblood, and profit driver of all intellectual property-based companies. I'm just sort of struck there that that love is the lifeblood and property driver of IP-based companies. And I guess I would invite people and myself to think about your affinity for or your relationship with certain IP brands and compare that to your relationship with certain wrestling brands do people love wwe do people love AEW? do people love new japan do people love ring of honor 
and how does that compare to how people love pro wrestling in general? I think there have been wrestling brands that people have loved, and people love wrestling brands to various degrees over the course of wrestling history or those brands of wrestling history. But I think at times that relationship has been mismanaged. And I know that's a hard thing to balance against who to listen to. But the balance of the wrestling industry, certainly when it comes to profit, though, continues to be incredibly driven by the media environment, though, that it happens to exist in. The wrestling business model, at least at the highest level, has been turned upside down. That what was once a ticket-selling business is now, at least in measurement of revenue and profit, far more a media business and a video-selling business than it ever even was a ticket-selling business. So that's all for now. Thanks to Luke Owens and Russell Talk for having me on their show this week. Thanks again to Kuniaki Takahashi for translating the WrestleNomics Pro Wrestling Industry Report for 2019 into Japanese. Again, you can find that at WrestleNomics.stores.jp. You can find my written work and all sorts of data at WrestleNomics.com. You can follow WrestleNomics on Twitter at WrestleNomics. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. I'm Brandon Thurston, and I'll talk to you next time. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.